Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. Grab your copy of God's Word. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 5. I wonder as you come in this morning, have you thought about where you are? Really? Have you really thought about where you are and whom you're with? Those are two really important questions. Where am I and whom am I with? Well, preacher, I'm at church. (laughs) Of course you are. But what does that mean? You see, the, the word church comes to us through the years from the Greek word, Kuriakon, which came into English as Kirk, right? We, we know that word, like we, we name people Kirk, and then morphed into church. Now that word church, that, that, that original Greek word Kuriakon means this, it means of the Lord's, of the Lord's. That means this morning, church, that you are in a place that has been set aside for worshiping the Lord. It's a place where the Lord's people come together, assemble to praise Him. But you know, the Bible has other words and phrases to help us understand where we are today and whom we are with. For instance, I mean, the Bible, the Bible talks in Revelation and Ephesians that you are with and part of the bride of Christ, the ones that, that Jesus has fixed His love on, that He adores, that He sacrificed for and loves. 1 Corinthians is, a, is, a, is an image that you know really well there where it says that you're amongst the body of Christ. Emphasizing in that, that that we're connected and we're dependent on one another. Just like my arm is dependent upon my leg to get me somewhere, right? And also it, it pictures that, that, that Christ is our head just as a body has a head. Christ is our head. First Peter says that you're in the midst of a holy nation. That you are here, even gathered together with an assembly of priests. Emphasizing that we are citizens of heaven. And that you and I, we have direct access to God. In Revelation 5, it says that you're in a kingdom. Emphasizing that we're submitted to the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so several places in the New Testament, they, they point out not only that, that we're in the kingdom, but we're also, it, it points out that we're part of a, a temple of God built with living stones, with Christ as the foundation and the cornerstone. Now, that's a, that's a lot of descriptors. I mean, the Bible uses all sorts of words, phrases, images to help you and me to understand what this is, where you are, and whom you are with. But one of the ones, one of the descriptors that we see there that that resonates most naturally with us is this descriptor. Family of God. The title of this morning's message is Welcome to the Family. You see, it's most natural to us because, listen, I mean, we're born into a family. We grow up around a family. We marry and create families. Mom, dad, brothers, sisters, grandmas, grandpas, 
great-grandmas, great-grandpas, aunts, uncles, cousins. I mean, one of the highlights of my childhood was I grew up right next door to my grandmother and my great-grandmother, my granny and my mamaw. I mean, that was a highlight. And every Sunday when I was a child, my, my mamaws, my great-grandmothers, it was her house, but my, my granny lived with her. They lived together to support one another and encourage one another. Every Sunday, we would have probably 50 people there. All right, um, my, my, my mamaw had 11 children. And they didn't come every Sunday, all of them, but about half of them came every Sunday. And there came cousins and all sorts of fun, right? We had a big time every Sunday. Our family was big. It was big. That was one of the highlights of my childhood. And listen, family is meant to be one of God's greatest blessings to you and me. And so we know this as part of a biological family. We know what it is to to trace our family tree and all of those things. But God gives us these things as a picture so that you and I might know a greater reality that he desires for you and for me. You see, this helps us. The family that you and I were born into and the family that you and I created points us to this spiritual blessing that God graces us with through Jesus Christ. He makes us a spiritual family, a family of God. We read about this in Ephesians chapter 2, for instance. 17 through 19, it says, and Jesus came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we have both access in one spirit to the Father. Notice that language there, Father. That's a family name. That's a family word. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, and listen to this, and members of the household of God. So beloved in Jesus Christ, we become family members. We become part of the family of God. Just like this past Sunday, think about this for a moment, when you saw the video that Pastor Will put together with the current impact that's going on at South Campus, and and people were asking that video, say one word that summarizes what South Campus is. And the word that was used over and over again, multiple times, more than any other word, was what? Family. That's what we are. Romans 8, 12 through 17, points to the fact that we are a family of God, describes to us what we are. So then, brothers, we are debtors, and not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For we are for all who are led by the Spirit of God. Listen to this: are sons of God. If you didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and of children than heirs. Heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. God is our father. Christ is our brother. And as you look around, other Christians are our brothers and sisters. Just like that old song we used to sing, right? I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God I've been washed in the fountain and cleansed by his blood. Joint heirs with Jesus as we travel the sod. For I'm part of the family 
the family of God. And we're to treat one another, uh, one another like family. Not like that dysfunctional bunch you got, <laughs> right? I mean, we've all got those moments in our families where it's like, man, if the church is supposed to be like my family, forget it. No, 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 no. <laughs> Not like that dysfunctional mess that some of us experience, right? God gave us family to be a blessing, right? We, we're talking about a godly family here, a, go, a, a family where, where we treat one another the way God intended us to treat one another. And Paul comes alongside us here in 1 Timothy 5 to help you and me to understand that as we continue in our First Timothy series here on, on church health, he helps us to remind us what it means to be a family here. As, as we continue in our series, Diagnosis Healthy Church. So I want to invite you this morning to stand to honor the reading of the Word of God. Just two verses this morning. But listen, if we will live out these two verses to the fullest of what's intended here, It'll be a major blessing for you and for me. Here's what it says. 1 Timothy 5, beginning in the first verse, he says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. Thus ends the reading of the Word of God. Please go ahead and grab your seat. So we have to keep in mind, all right, first and foremost, this, this is a letter to Pastor Timothy, Paul's pastoral protege, who, who was given leadership here to the church in Ephesus. So this instruction, they're first and foremost given to pastors. There will be a time as, as pastors, that says here in the Word, to rebuke someone because they've drifted away from, the, from, from God in some way. So there will be a time for that. But the way he says that that correction is supposed to come is in a family relationship, right? A family relationship. It must not come across harshly. It's to come across as a loving, as a, as a matter of care, uh, in a respectful manner, especially when, when pastors have to correct a man who's older than them. That's tough. Pastor Ken Hughes, he, he captures the essence of Paul's words here to, to Timothy. Here's what he writes. He says, Rather than an officious tongue lashing out, there must be a filial discomfort in rebuking an older man. Imagine yourself having to rebuke your father and the natural humility and trepidation that would engulf you. He's your dad, right? I mean, you love your dad. You don't want to dishonor your dad. Just imagine that for a moment. The discomfort of of having to rebuke your father the natural humility and trepidation that would engulf you, and you have the idea. Tone is so important in ministry, and with older people, it must be that of affection and respect. And so here, most directly, it says pastors are to see older men as fathers and older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, and younger men as brothers. But relating that way as a pastor, here's the thing we have to see, that, that that extends, right? For a pastor to relate in that sort of way to other people in the church body, then that kind of mindset has to extend out to the entire church, right? Everybody. It's not just pastors who should see people in the congregation this way. Everybody in the church should see people in the church as father, mother, brother, sister. Jesus himself, he made this point. That day 
when he was teaching there. He was inside teaching. And his biological mama and his brothers, they showed up and he was busy teaching. And so some dude, he comes in, he, he lets Jesus know, hey, Jesus, your mom and your brothers, were, they're outside and they want to talk with you. But Jesus says this to that man, and of course he says it to the whole crowd so that all the crowd might hear it. He says in Matthew 12, 48 through 50, he says, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. What Jesus is saying here, y'all, is that those who follow him become a spiritual family. And that family in many ways even trumps the biological family. Now, it doesn't replace the biological family because we're going to see next week that there are still biological relationships that God expects us to take responsibility for. But when it comes to those who you will spend eternity with. Your spiritual family, you'll be with forever. And hopefully all of your biological family, you'll be with forever. Hopefully they all trust Christ. But some of them probably won't. And so even here, there's sort of this this elevation of the spiritual family in one sense over that biological family. I want you to look around for just a moment, church. And I know that we have another service that will be coming in here at 1030. And I know that we have two other services over at our East Campus this morning. Look around you and I want you to see your mothers and your fathers and your brothers and your sisters. God made you a family and a healthy church. A healthy church gets this. So here's today's truth. Just plain and simple. A healthy church relates to one another as family. As a family. And so in light of that, we need to do two things here. One of these things is implicit in our text. It's implied by the very language that's used here. But the other one is explicit, all right? So first... If we're going to raise, uh, if we're going to relate to one another as family, then first, guys, here's what we have to do. We have to cultivate connection and commitment to one another. Cultivate connection and commitment to one another. That, that's the very essence of what family is, right? It's, it's implicit here in the text. He tells us to see one another as family, treat one another as family, and that implies that there's a relational connection, that there's a relational commitment to one another. And listen, that comes naturally in a biological family. For you mamas out here, think about the moment when that child came forth from your womb and was laid to your breast. Doctors talk about that moment where a mother and child bond. And and it's, it's biological, it's chemical, it's spiritual, it's emotional, it's physical. It's all of those things that that child and mother bond is, is like one of the strongest things on earth, right? That's, that's what we call, um, you know, uh, we, we talk about mama bears, right? Being a mama bear. Because mothers will 
viciously try to protect their children because their bond is so strong, even from the very beginning, right? It, it's just natural. In fact, if a, if a mama is not connected to her child, we say that's dysfunctional because it's, it's strange. That's not how God intended it to be. But of course, there's the father as well, right there, catching the baby, cutting the cord, doing all of those things. And when the child gets, of course, a little older and all those things, it's daddy who's playing with that child and getting it in a headlock and toss it in the air. I mean, it's so fun to watch dads play with children. The other day I saw a dad playing with a kid here, literally had the kid on his back, upside down, running around going, yeah! And the kid loved it! That's what kids want. They want that connection with their daddy. And then there are those sibling connections. As children, think about your brothers and sisters. I mean, yeah, you eat together, you, you sleep together in the same beds a lot of times. Sometimes when you're littler, I mean, we got pictures of this. You bathe together. Mama's always got to get a picture of that. You play together. You fight together. My two youngest are like bear cubs, man. I mean, they're constantly fighting. But it's because they're brothers. That's what brothers, that's their bond. And so there's this, this, this natural bond that happens in a biological family. But in the family of God, that bond isn't natural. It's not. Right? We come from all over the place. Different backgrounds, different contexts, different experiences, and God brings us together into this spiritual family, sort of a, a family of misfits in one sense a lot of times. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are unified together. We're made one. There is this spiritual connection that happens by the power of God. But we have to work. We have to work to cultivate that relational connection. Right? So we've got that spiritual, spiritual connection just automatically by being in the family of God, being you know, indwelt by the Holy Spirit. There's that magnetic connection spiritually between Christians. But you and I have to work in the local body here to cultivate that relational connection and that relational commitment. That's why, think about this in the Bible. That's why there are so many one another commands throughout the New Testament. I mean, th th these are basically God's, God's plan, God's program, God's um, you know, his, his strategy for you and me to become connected and committed to one another. So I'm not going to, you can't improve on the Bible, okay? So this morning, as you think about like how, how can we be better committed and be better connected to one another? I'm just going to read to you a list. It's a big list, but I want you to hear, and as I, as I read these, I want you to jot down, if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to jot down three in particular that you think God would have you do today even. Begin today to connect and to cultivate relationship in the family of God. I'm not going to give you chapter and verse on these because um, you know, there, there, there's a lot here. But I'm just going to read you the list. They're all straight out of the Bible. Okay, The first one love one another. 
Now, that's not found just one time. That, 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 that command right there, this one another command, is found 16 times in the New Testament. So I guess that one's pretty important, right? Be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Build up one another. Be like-minded towards one another. Accept one another. Admonish one another. Greet one another. Care for one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. Forgive one another. Be patient with one another. Speak the truth in love to one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Submit to one another. Consider others better than yourselves. Look to the interests of one another. Bear with one another. Teach one another. Comfort one another. Encourage one another. Exhort one another. Stir up one another to love and good works. Show hospitality to one another. Employ the gifts that God has given us for the benefit of one another. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Pray for one another. Confess your faults to one another. Now, those are just sort of the positive commands. There are also a list of negative, like, stop doing this to one another. Don't lie to one another. Don't, you know, don't bite and devour one another. I'm not going to list those out, but you see all of these positive commands. These are the ways, guys, that you and I are to build connection. Like, this is our playbook here. God wants us. He's already made us a family, but he wants us to thrive together as a family that we would truly be connected, that we would truly be committed. Man, what a list here, right? This, these are the relational things that, that we should be doing to cultivate connection and commitment. And you have to understand, like if this is for real, if you're really desiring to do this, it's not just a Sunday morning, Wednesday night thing. It is a life thing. It's a week in, week out, day in, day out 24-7 sort of thing. Now let's get real for a moment. Too many Christians and too many churches are weak on connection and commitment. We kind of want to play it loose. We want to kind of be at the periphery of church life. We want to come in and out the doors and almost be anonymous. Slip in and slip out. And sometimes, some of us in the room here can actually, can actually maybe say, uh, can, can, can sort of judge how well the day went if you got in without talking to anybody, heard a good message, and got out without talking to anybody. That's not how God designed it. He, listen, I'm thankful to get up and talk to you guys, but you cannot discount the time that happens before and after the service. You cannot discount this time. It's crucial. If you sneak in after the music starts and leave at the invitation, you are missing out on some of the most important parts 
of what God has designed in the gathering because he actually desires for you to connect and to cultivate relationships with other believers. And sometimes, listen, I, I, I worry about this congregation. Right? I mean, any congregation I'm the pastor of, I mean, I, I worry. But I get it, man, particularly here at Eastwood, there are so many other things that go on in the week. I just wonder, how much of this life do you get to experience other than Sunday morning and Wednesday night? Do you have more than Sunday morning relationships? Do you spend time in other Eastwood people's homes? Are you, are you there with people? Are, are, are there people here that you can depend on and trust and be transparent with? Like, have you developed a relationship enough that, that, that you can actually have that sort of thing where you can really let your guard down to let someone know who you really are? If you're not here with the family of God, do you miss it? Do you miss the people? Do you miss the people? Guys, we have to cultivate that. That does not happen naturally. we got to cultivate it. And the best way, listen, that you and I do that, the best way, yes, I mentioned the, 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 the margins around the worship gatherings, those are important, but the best way that we provide for you guys to, cult- to cultivate these things is in our small group ministries. Now listen, I know it's been a weird year. It's been a weird season with COVID. And some of you, just get real for a moment, some of you have gotten out of the habit of being a part of a small group. Or, praise God, here's the really cool thing, what God did over the past year. Like, where, when church shut down, and a lot of churches like went and crashed in their attendance, we've actually grown. We've actually grown over the course of this pandemic year here at South Campus. And so some of you are new, and like you've, you've come to a church where it's like, what's a small group? Because they don't really exist much, right? I mean, they're kind of there somewhat in some way, but not fully. It's not fully operational. And so I want to say to you this morning, if you were in a small group and now you're not, you just kind of got out of the habit of it, or, or maybe your online one kind of, you know, it just fuzzed out, whatever you want to call it there. It just dwindled and all of those things. It's time for you to start thinking about getting back into a small group. We have one that's meeting right now, actually. Todd Bandy leads that one. And then right after this service, right after this gathering, we have two that meet here. Phil leads one and and Gene leads the other one. So there's a place for you. There'll be one tonight at 6 o'clock at my house that we host. Michael Barnum hosts one on Tuesdays online. And Wes Kerr hosts one on Wednesday nights right here in the building during the worship gathering on Wednesday night. So there is a place for you to get plugged in. But Lord willing, hear me just for a moment here. Lord willing, in June. Lord willing, in June, we will move back to a regular schedule. And we're going to strive and see if this is possible. We're looking at the numbers right now to see if it's possible. But Lord willing, we will return to a regular Sunday morning schedule with small groups at 9 and the worship at 10.30. And I say to you, every 
person in this room with children having small groups again and preschool having small groups again and adults having small groups again, every person in this room needs to find a small group to be a part of. Your small group, guys, is where you're going to really begin to develop those relationships with your brothers and sisters. It's it's where you get elbow to elbow and eyeball to eyeball with other Christians to study the Word of God and to do life together. Like your small group is the network of people that you can call any time you have a need. And they will be there, Johnny, on the spot. You have to cultivate as a family connection and commitment to one another. Second, though, this morning, if we're going to relate to one another as family, then we have to show love and honor to one another. Show love and honor to one another. Now, Paul here, he focuses in on these familial relationships. Father, mother, brother, sister. Think about some of the exhortations that we see throughout the New Testament. 1 Peter 2.17 says, Honor everyone. Love. The brotherhood. Romans 12.10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Hebrews 13.1. Hebrews 13.1. Let brotherly love continue. So we see over and over again in the Bible that love and honor go hand in hand. If you're going to honor someone, it's an, it's an act of love to them. You are showing love to them. Even that word there, that, 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 uh, there in Hebrews 13, 1, let brotherly love. In the Greek, it's the word Philadelphia. It's brotherly love. 1 Corinthians 13, though, defines for us what love is. You think about love and honor. Like, how do you define this? Well, he tells us here, 13, 4 through 7, Love is patient and kind. Love doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. That's the kind of affection that we're to show one another. We're to be patient. We're not to envy and boast. We're not to be arrogant or rude. We're not to insist on our own way. We're not to rejoice in wrongdoing. And so brotherly love, you're to show love to one another. And how do you do that? Well, there's some practical ways here for a moment. One of the practical ways, particularly here in in 1 Timothy, where he's talking about rebuking someone maybe who's fallen into sin, right? Do not rebuke an older man. One of the ways that we show love to one another is to watch over one another spiritually. Like, remember there in the Bible when Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? (laughs) And the answer is yes, you are. We are in the family of God. That's what we are. We watch over one another spiritually. Now, none of us have it all figured out. But praise God, as a collective, we'll do pretty good, right? Together, as the body, as the family, we'll be better together. And if you see your brother or sister sliding into sin or 
Actually, sometimes they run into sin. What is your role? Your role, as it says here, is to lovingly encourage them to turn away from that. That's the language that he used here. Don't rebuke an older man, but encourage him. Same thing with an older woman. Same thing with a younger man. Same thing with a younger woman. We are to encourage one another and watch over one another. I mean, what would you do if your biological brother was in a burning house? Would you just let him burn? No way, man. That would be cowardly or that would be wicked, one or the other. You would do everything in your power to pull that brother to safety. And you and I are to do the same thing. We're to watch over one another and to protect one another. And again, we do it in a loving way. We don't rebuke harshly. We encourage. But nevertheless, we watch over one another. We pray over one another. Again, that's where your small group comes into play. Like That's where, in particular, you're going to be prayed for every single week. Helping one another. Like, like, do you have people's phone numbers in your phone that you can call up and say, hey, I need someone to help me carry some furniture. I need a tiller. I, you know, so on and so forth. I mean, you have the ability to help one another. That's why you show love, sharing with one another. But here's probably one of the most important things is that you enjoy one another. Like, what you have is a gift right here. And God means for you to enjoy it. Church is not meant to be a drudgery. Every Sunday, in one sense, is meant to be a family reunion. Every Sunday. And so I pray that you would enjoy one another. But not only love, we are to honor. We're to honor one another. William Barclay, he said this. He said, what then is honor? The biblical words often translated as honor can have a number of shades of meaning. As a baseline definition, to honor means to esteem and treat one another with respect because of who they are or what they have done. Honor has the sense of value, price, or quality. That which is valued and esteemed is honored. The biblical use sometimes also means to seek to enhance the reputation of someone. Right? So we're to honor one another. We are here, as it says right here, to respect, to esteem, to love, and honor go hand in hand. That means that we seek to bless one another. We, we, we work to consider others as more important than ourselves. But probably one of the greatest ways that you can honor the other person is to treat them how you would want to be treated, right? To show them grace, to show them grace. But not only that, finally, he, he just adds in one little phrase here that's really important, especially when it comes to the opposite sex. Now, notice here he says, he's talking to, 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 to Pastor Timothy here, and he says here at the very end there, younger women as sisters, and then he adds this three-word phrase there, in all purity. Because he knows that Timothy and younger women, there could be a, a temptation there, all right? And so we just recognize this in all of the situations. Every relationship here, right? As we work to build this family relationship, it's important for us 
man, woman, either way, to maintain pure boundaries in our relationships. This is key, man. This is so important. Because listen, I've seen it wreck a church before. My last church in Tennessee, we had a family there. We had two families who were very close. Two men who were like brothers. And this one man over here had a daughter who grew up to be an adult. And she got married. And this man over here who was best friends with her daddy began an adulterous relationship with his daughter. And you go, ooh, like not his wife, his daughter? Yeah, his daughter. And so we see right there two marriages wrecked, two friendships wrecked, multiple generations of both sides of the families in the church wrecked. And praise God, we were able to step in, we were able to, 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 to rebuke what was going on and to lead them to repent and all the things and to reconcile. Uh, it it's really a, is a beautiful story of, of, of forgiveness and reconciliation, repentance, forgiveness, and reconciliation. But I want to tell you, it wrecked that fellowship right there. And so I say to you, guard purity. Men, guard purity. Purity. As you try to develop relationships within this church, obviously you're going to primarily aim to develop relationships with other men. But again, you're going to develop relationships with other sisters as well in the context of those couple relationships there. And vice versa. Just be on guard that you do all of this love and honor and develop relationships in all purity. It's integral, guys, that we show love and honor to one another. God is growing a family here. God's growing a family. And I, I want to I close this morning to tell you just about something that God is doing. And I, I announced this this past Sunday. But I want to announce it again in case you weren't here to hear it. All right, Because we think about the family of God. I'm excited to tell you that Eastwood is birthing something that is going to help families to grow, to help the family of God extend, all right? And it has to do particularly with next Sunday. What is next Sunday? Does anybody know what next Sunday is? It is Mother's Day. That's right, don't forget it. Did I hear something other than Mother's Day? (laughs) Well, that too, we're going to get to that, all right? So next Sunday is Mother's Day. Now, somebody once said that happiness is seeing your mother smile. And as a father of five children, guys, listen, I know that. I know that. I see the joy on their face when they see their mama. Yet here in America, think about this with me, there are over 120,000 children who have no mother to smile at them or a father for that matter. They're waiting to be adopted. And that number grows as we kind of zoom out and look at the world. That number grows to at least 140 million orphans. So many of those children here in America and around the world, they're, they're fortunate enough to have caregivers, but they don't have a mama They don't have a daddy. They don't have someone to lovingly feed them, to clothe them, to comfort them, to lead them. And they need somebody to step forward and and, and make them a son or a daughter. But the greatest barrier, as we understand it, to doing that, the experts tell us, is finances. Okay? Finances. Experts tell us that one-third of all Americans have considered adoption, but only 2%. 33% have considered it, but only 2% actually follow through with it. And the biggest barrier is often finances. 
American adoptions through state agencies can be between two and four thousand dollars, while American adoptions through private agencies can be between twenty and forty thousand. International adoption costs can range from thirty-five thousand to seventy thousand. And so, any way you go about it, the expense of adoption it often keeps families from giving the children the mother and the father they deserve, and they so desperately need. And as I announced last Sunday, God burdened a family at Eastwood that we could make an effort to change this. And they brought it to me, and I took it to the leadership team. And guys, I wish you could have been there in that meeting. Like it was a Holy Spirit moment. And God blessed the unity in that room. And we as a leadership team have said, this is something we Not that we can do, but this is something that we must do. And so, guys, we have put together what we call the Motherless No More Fund. You can see the logo there on the screen, Motherless No More. It is an adoption assistance ministry. And there's already been money pledged to that by the family that was burdened for this. And we want to take the opportunity to extend this to all of us. Like as you think about the kingdom of God, what better way to change a child's life than to take them from a home where they, know, where they hear nothing about Jesus probably and bring them into a home where they'll be raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, okay? And so we are announcing that next Sunday, and Lord willing, this will be an annual offering for the Motherless No More Adoption Assistance Fund. So next Sunday, we will receive a love offering. Whatever God lays on your heart that you might give to this so that we can help families. Because there are already families, even right now at Eastwood, who would love to adopt a child. They just don't have the finances to do it. And we as a church family get to come together and help families bring children into their These children's lives will be changed by being brought into the family. So that's next Sunday. I just want to put that out there. But here's what I want to do just in closing this morning before we transition to Lord's Supper this morning. Is I want you, I, I pray this, that may you realize that church is not something you go to. It's not just something you go to, but a family you belong. Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact 
that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus to be your savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live and he stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned, which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us, and I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.